Hello, I am Chippo Chippoziwa, and welcome to Performing, no, Performance. This is a podcast in which I ask performance artists why and how they create the work that they create, and what does studio time mean and look like to them. I am also joined by Live's Brady Seal Marks, who sometimes joins in on the conversation. In this fifth episode, I am joined by Vancouver-based multimedia artist Paul Wong. Paul's practice concerns itself with a variety of subjects. A few of them consist of the following. Experimenting with the media of video, exploring identity politics, and investigating capitalism. I'm honored to have him as my final guest. I want to start off by acknowledging the fact that you are a founding member of multiple artist-run groups. Examples of this include Video In, Video Art, Out Media Arts Center, On the Cutting Edge Production Society, which is now known as On Main Gallery, and The Main Streeters. And I wanted to start off with asking, do you prefer to create with others or do you prefer to create alone? And how do the two different processes differ from one another? I was recently quoted as, as something that I said um, on a conversation I had with Dana Claxton with the Love Intersections um, Hot Pot series. And apparently there was a question about mentorship and I said, you know, the community has been my mentor. And that was used as the theme this year for the Heart of the City Festival. Taken out of context, I don't remember what I said and I reviewed what I said, that, that the that festival just happened. So when you talk about, do I work solo or do I work with others? I think sometimes those terms, like, like we're using studio practice, non-studio practice, traditional, sculptors do this, how do performance artists do that, in terms of do I work solo or do I work collaboratively, I think that without a community context, my work would not be inspired or thrive or have, have meaning. So you can interpret what, what that means. I may be doing a solo work invited to your space that involves working with them and we create something that is a Paul Wong thing produced by you in conjunction with them, Mm -hmm. what does that make it? So I think one of the things that maybe turned me off a little bit around the solo performance art thing is why I turned into more collaborative things, producing more things where I was not, where I was not the person standing in this room with the spotlight on me as a the Paul Wong endurance piece because I, I found that a lot of that work Happening in those kinds of white gallery spaces, white wall spaces, became very, very limiting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was uh, those artists were 
traveling with their tropes, you know, their vocabulary, their repertoire. And, and so I'm going to stop there. I'm now segueing way over the, to, to many different thoughts. So I work within a community context. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you your answer. <laughs> no, it's okay. That's fine. Um, in your own words, do you think that performance art can be commodified? Do you think that performance, and I'm now also interested to hear your answer about, do you think that performance art can truly be owned by the artist? And then in parentheses, there is an S, but still, like, is there an ownership associated with performance art, especially when you create performance art within a community-based way? I'll give you an example if you want me to further elaborate. Sure. Okay, I think about your piece, Confuse Sexual Views, and how it was once considered non-art from the Vancouver Art Gallery. And then, I, these are actually your words. You said, I feel like performance art often gets the short end of the stick because people can do an action and say that it's art, performance art. And I cannot help but apply that same perspective when the VAC declared Confuse slash Sexual Views as non-art back in the 80s. And after said experience, have you taken into account how others, especially art institutions, will receive your works? I mean, I think the... the happenings in the 60s, the performance art of the 70s, uh, and spectacle, grew out of collaborations with other forms but it was also a rejection of the commodification of object art. That these were art experiences, site experiences, community experiences that were anti-art, anti-object, anti-sale price, anti-collection. So performance art often took place within a visual art language or collaborations with those audiences and makers as a site of rebellion, as a site of ideas, and saying that experience was where we're at, at this site, at this moment. So for me, our performance art is the essence of an experience. There's nothing to hang on your wall. Yeah. So, so, so in terms of your question about commodification, so, so, so that, and and, and that also allowed for uh, sites of experimentation and a certain you know, audiences came to things with no expectations, and uh, and a lot of that work was very raw. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like this idea of the context of when you started out and like um, the video being the medium that was emerging the you know the porta pack video in and and how you said like in that context it was anti commodification anti so there was a um, zeitgeist maybe of 
me new media maybe and also like against red dots paintings objects well, well, on the wall. well certainly the emergence of video as a language as a form as a form used by artists yeah. it was definitely uh, you know we, we, we did it as, as a political an anti-art and community tool mm -hmm. because it was a form that suddenly um, challenged um, mainstream uh, commercial big dollar government uh, monolithic media structures and, and broadcasts suddenly you had a accessibly affordable and a medium that could walk away from the studio that didn't require huge budgets huge producers huge sponsorships to make anyone could suddenly start doing their own stories their own actions their own recordings their own performances with the camera and share that one could it, 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 it was very radical. It, it, did, it didn't have the structures of television, the, the, the hierarchy of film and film production means and all of that stuff. Um, so it, 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 it opened up possibilities and possibilities that definitely threatened the status quo from the way that they tried to uh, dismiss um, this new medium, saying that it wasn't technically up to code, the white levels are way too low, the black levels don't meet our standards, um, it's, it's, it, you know, it's not high enough resolution, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was now this whole, you know, reinforcement of professional technical standards way of keeping you out mm -hmm. you know even you know let alone the presence of diversity or mm -hmm. access or storytelling but strictly at the technical level right you know oh no you're they would look at your work and go oh no the white levels aren't don't meet our don't meet our broadcast standards <laughs> do you remember that kind of stuff i mean that, those things were applied i mean you can't you see you can't no, no. you can't ex we love your idea, but you can't, you can't expect us to show, screen, broadcast something made on this technology. It's just not up to cold. Right. So, so can I ask yeah. a follow-up question? Yeah, so, if, um, like, what would that sort of ran, uh, radical, anti, uh, anti-establishment? Paul Wong of that time do now in this time because I think like with YouTube or just the, our TikTok, phones Instagram reels yeah the, those those gatekeepers are not there anymore and no one's telling us like that fan above here is too loud we can't use this audio right and so if you were to sort of begin again to have that that spirit but now without those restraints would you would you be doing anything different i mean i guess you are so, doing so um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I've done a, a whole series of released unreleased uh, 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 playtimes and experimentation on various kinds of platforms. Uh, and uh, you know, for, for one, uh, as someone who's engaged in certain social media platforms, and uh, I was very clear that I was inserting my old Chinese body and face into a youth platforms. Loudly. I have to go just do a selfie again and stick it in there. You know, when Vine came out was the first platform where you could actually do a seven second video and share it. And so I created a network of people who all just started doing vines for each other and trying to do, you know, what, what, what can I do in seven seconds? What can I do in seven seconds? And then it went into Instagram, uh, into 15 seconds. Uh, so, you know, I'm always playing with the context and the forms. So as a lot of those things emerged, I was kind of on it, in, in, I guess in an intuitive kind of way. I was, you know, when they um, were able to do GIFs, you know, for two years I just made GIFs and sent it to people. I, you know, they were like, this piece of what I do with this architecture, you know five photos or three photos on an even number and let it animate. And now I'm always kind of doing these things with certain kinds of filters, like on Instagram, but I am. I try to mix and mash and you know, do these things that are still within kind of a 10 second range. So I'm, so I'm experimenting with kind of the form and the, again, um, uh, uh, my, fo my followers, and my, uh, which is a network of friends, we're always kind of exchanging something, which is very different or is it different? Are people actually experimenting with context and form um, in this new generation of, it's all about the likes, mm -hmm. which is a commodity. Because based on being an influencer and being branding and, and monetizing, it's all based on how many likes. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, yeah, yeah, there's a huge proliferation of media, which, which is wonderful, but you know, who's actually trying to subvert it or, 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 or um, um, in, in form and function? I mean, it's... I think what subverts it for me is the body, right? That presence, that lens that doesn't, that is sort of at base, like at the end, no matter how many filters, it's, it's going to be received and it comes from bodies in space. I mean, your work is based on the body, but is that, do you, would you agree? It's kind of based on what's readily available. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and I think back then, in, in, in the 70s, when I started to do stuff, it was using each other's bodies. Yeah. You know, and each other's stories. Because we could turn the cameras. Yeah. We were cheap. I didn't have to pay you because I did what you did for me today. Next week, I do what you. I, my body is yours. For next week. Yeah. So that was kind of an exchange that we had going on, and also, uh, we were none of us the the, um, the you know the um, yeah uh, the, the hippies, the counterculture, or the freaks. You know, none of our bodies were on mainstream media. None of our stories or ways of seeing or doing were on were, any, were covered anyway. So it, it, it was quite radical to just turn our naked bodies, our masturbating bodies, our vaginas, our, our inner our thoughts, 
um, uh, and, and to record that and, 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 and to share it. Mm -hmm. So it was considered to be um, a new, new frontier. And often by, and I certainly know a lot of those early works for turning the cameras on myself and my, 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 my friends, they were a form of validation mm -hmm. of myself and, 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 and each other. Mm -hmm. And it was also, um, and I've always been very um, interested in making I guess that's another way of deconstructing the filters of editorial storytelling and producers and script writing and rewriting and editing of, of turning the camera onto private matters and instantly making that public. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it was a whole other strategy. You know, that, that, that it's certainly taboo subjects or the idea that you would say that or show that or do that. I wonder if it's even possible to even explore a taboo subject in this day and age or even have some kind of sense of authenticity because when we see the camera reflected back on someone in their vulnerable fo like moment, it still feels kind of performance. And whereas when I was researching your earlier um, video pieces, for example, there was a part of me that was like, okay, was he actually able to capture people when they weren't because I feel like now, if I do this, we're all aware of the camera. So, you know, we all kind of like straighten our posture and like make our face look a certain way or be like, I hope you're going to use a filter because this is the best filter I look in versus you back in those day and ages. Like people were just unbeknowing. But also I have to kind of ask myself and catch myself with this bias I have and be like, have humans always been able to sense the presence of a camera and then does performativity just automatically come on? Well, we, a very dear friend and colleague of mine is actually working on a piece right now that um, um, we've just kind of formulated. Mm -hmm. And he's very interested in my process. And, and we're really good friends. We travel together. He's uh, from Quebec. He's, he's an artist. Um, and uh, he recently was staying with me and through a big event that I was producing Pride in Chinatown. And just before we opened the doors, he started following me with a camera. As I went in my multitasking form, checking on that lighting, getting someone to fix that, saying hello to you, giving you a hug, showing you the green room, listening to the sound check, doing my loop like three times. And he just had the camera rolling kind of on the slide. I knew he was there. Sometimes I would go, turn it off, and then I, didn't, and I forgot about it. Mm -hmm. But I watched some of that footage recently because he didn't know what he was doing with it. And it's remarkable. We talk about following the process because it sees the way that I'm thinking and working and seeing everything, but yet being able to go, hey, how are you? Thanks for coming. And sometimes I'm saying to you, could you fix that sound over there? <laughs> and then back to you, it's just like, wow, whoa, whoa. So it's, like, it was, it's, it's yeah, so it's, it's some remarkable footage. So I was so comfortable with him and with this little camera. I was aware but not aware. I didn't perform for the camera, and sometimes I did. Like, Philippe, you're still following me. Okay, let's go. You know, so, but it's, so, that, yeah. It's like a switch. Well, I'm aware but not aware. I even wonder, is it possible to break the fourth wall when you're making a video piece? 
or is that just a part of making a video piece because i wonder like you know that famous painting i forget it's like the barmaid and you know she's looking at the person and then you can see the gentleman in the mirror but then people of like people who are good with mathematics figured out that it's not actually like we're not the man in the mirror we're someone else in the painting that's not there like just based off the angle so i'm just wondering like how does that apply to the video pieces that you've done well going back to confused sexual views mm -hmm. which was accused of just being not art because it's just talking heads i was insistent with the people that I interviewed, that they looked directly into the camera. There was no other POV. Look into the camera, you're speaking to me. Because most of these, even newscasts, it's always, look over there, look over there. Yeah. And only the announcer looks right at the camera. And they're still using that same cliche in, 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 the, kind of, in, in the kinds of frames. Also, you know, I was um, also accused of high manipulation. But literally, because I'm lazy, I just removed all my, my questions. I was not interested in my voice. So, you know, what is your favorite color? Blue. I always ask my people to mention my favorite color is blue. It wasn't about me. Mm -hmm. so, I would, so the voice of the other is completely removed. So it's just like, one statement after another statement after another statement. There was no sexy fade to back to make it seem seamless because it never was. So in a half hour interview, I just took out well, anything coming from this point of view. It was just about, about you. It was just, it was just this. Mm -hmm. you, weren't, you didn't appear. So that was deconstructed as this. Well, obviously the highly edited and manipulated was like, as, as like the other things aren't. So, 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 this is an example of my consciousness about the form, that I knew what I was doing, I was questioning that, the way that we present, we, we, we present an idea of truth under this POV, the second camera, the big kind of shot, like, like, it, like, it, like it's seamless. Mm -hmm. So that was considered maybe too real, too raw, too jagged for back then. Yeah. The way you describe the contrast between, so initially you said, well, film was too structured, too, too formulate, too subdivided in, in terms of labor structures, like you, your roles and that, that kind of thing. And then then you got this criticism of being too manipulative, but, and you said it was because you were lazy, but, but I also heard in your voice like an astuteness of understanding media and understanding what it would mean to cut out and understanding what it would mean to look at the camera. And so my question would be like how, what, what taught you your understanding of, of video or media or film and representation like where did what was school for you for that was it like watching television or or cinema like how did that sense even if it was informal where did you develop that 
And if you watch other works, like Prime Cuts, and even in that section you mentioned from four, I also um, was using, um, I was imitating the documentary because I didn't have a second camera. I didn't have that kind of script. So I would walk in handheld on things as opposed to having it like this. And so um, a, 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 lot, a lot of these um, structured things are shot in that kind of way because I just didn't do all of that. Uh, just about to come up on something or kind of walk halfway, you know, walk halfway in through a scene, and it's not all perfect because I didn't, I didn't have the the ways and means and patience to do that, you know, that lighting, <laughs> all, all of that sort of stuff. So, um, uh, I've always played, you know, at that time I, I, I was very really conscious of playing a lot of the form, and that's because I was, I, I, I was, I, I watched stuff, so I was a critique of stuff, I learned from seeing stuff and from others. Yeah, so it was, um, it was a bit of a sponge. I'm like, hmm, that's, a, that's, that's an interesting way to use the camera. You know, that's, you know, that's quite believable. That's, you know, that's, that, that, that's okay just to have it, you know, sitting on a table at an angle, <laughs> you, know, it's, 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 uh, you know, all that stuff. It's like, why not? So it was, it was all, I think it was all about, um, being ignored, dismissed, rejected, uh, made fun of, and uh, um, um, not being shown and not being, um, uh, but all those mainstream things, but I've said it quite often recently, I actually now give them some credit for um, not sharing, not caring, and keeping their doors closed, because that allowed others like me and myself to create our own play boxes and make our own make our own friends and, and create our own games. So being allowed to create your own games, and I'm just doing it for you two anyway. I don't care about the rest of it. I just made stuff to please you and you, and you made stuff to please to entertain me or to surprise me. So but that's what happened in the seventies and largely in the eighties. Was able, I was really able to play in, in my own sandbox and with my own rules, with my own playmates, with my own stuff. And it was validating. I didn't have to uh, be constantly happy, you know. I, you know, this is where the love was. Mm -hmm. That took me a long time to learn, but still recently. Now sometimes you just have to stop listening to all of that. All that rejection, all that critique, all that envy, all that misunderstanding, all you know, always trying to change that. It's important to do that, but at the same time that would just suck you dry. You have to be able to play. Do you think that in this current day and age in twenty twenty two, people are now playing more than ever? Everyone who's playing mm -hmm. gone to the same fucking schools, <laughs> the same textbooks, <laughs> listen to the same programs. I think there's a lot. I, I, I think there's a lot less artistic freedom and experimentation. Okay. Right. And and, and all depends which communities you're talking about. You know, we here in the privileged 
Canada, let's just say, mm -hmm. Vancouver, British Columbia, mm -hmm. and it'll come from, um, and I think, I, mean, I always think the most interesting work comes from sites of friction, be it political, gender, economic, social. I mean, we're talking about the 30 year evolution of live art, performance art, and interdisciplinary art practices of some of the Aboriginal artists that you've mentioned, like Rebecca Bell, that mm -hmm. comes out of a community, mm -hmm. out of a community of friction. So mm -hmm. there's a certain necessity for it curiosity and hunger for it from its makers and its audience. Which probably started with six people, but you know, grew to 16, <laughs> 60, you know, over 30 years, you know, but it's, so, so it comes out of a place of, where, I guess, where there's friction. Yeah. Right, where there's, you know, yeah. contrast, you know, there's, uh, yeah. It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out of a comfort zone. You know, they didn't begin as an academic exercise, as a, as 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 a as a structural thing where I'm going to put noise against grain, and I'm going to deconstruct minimalism at the same time. I'm going to use some body art and throw in some feminism, and why not Asian identity all at the same time? But all that is pretty fraught thinking. Again, I come from all that, mm -hmm. but you know, um, they weren't thinking that. I'm doing something post post colonial <laughs> feminist, you know, with some quote from some book that's going to back them up. That's not radical work. I learned by seeing and doing. It's really great to hear. Not, not from a classroom. That was framed. So I had to seek out where. And I, and I, I also had the, the privilege of you know, uh, being early on, almost right out of high school, to be engaged with experimental artists and to be you know, part of co founding something like Video and Vivo Bini Arts. And, and then being thrown into the pit of how to organize, administrate, and you know. You know mm -hmm. Ask a lot of these questions and try to put them into action. How do we create? I mean, how do we learn to do this? How do we train others to do this? How do we have a space that can have open hours? <laughs> no, how, do, how do we make all this happen? Do you find yourself, your core identity, removed to some degree depending on the mediums that you're working in? And the works that I was thinking about when I typed this up was. So you are in Tenth City, 60 unit, bruise on becoming a man, four, and prime cuts. I mean, I did a lot of what I call video performances. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of things, performances for the camera. I did a lot of things, live audience shows that were live for the camera frame, projected or shown over there on a monitor mixed in with 
pre-recorded time and live actions and delayed time. So a lot of my pieces, a lot of that stuff doesn't exist and sets up in a couple of, of terrible photographs because you couldn't relate for those things because they were, you know, they, they were never done. So I, a lot of my works purposely played with live and pre-recorded framed reality fiction and non-fiction elements so all together or in different combinations so that was that was kind of the strategy I had in my work for a long period of time this was was twisting fucking up flattening uh, manipulating time is this now then real fiction and I believe that is that for this episode I would just like to say a big thank you to my guests and I would also like to say thank you to both Live BNL and the City of Vancouver for funding this project thank you